We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, we have Elliot, James and Paul all discussing our 0-0 draw at the Emirates against Sunderland. It wasn't as we planned. It wasn't as we hoped. We needed some goals, really. And we're finding them hard to come by at the moment, which is unlike unlike this team. We have a lot of attacking players. We might not have that many goal scorers, but we do have a lot of attacking players. And we are a creative team, so... Clearly, we're finding goals hard to come by at the moment. And um, that could be down to fatigue. It could be down to confidence. Who knows? But I was hoping before the game we'd make a few more changes to the team than we did. Uh, we actually put out quite an attacking team by not having a defensive midfield player in there and uh, having two attacking fullbacks and having Wilshire, Ramsey and Cazorla in the middle. Well, as Ozil in the 10 position. So we were going for it from the off but we just couldn't find the breakthrough and I, and I, I think I think that's down to the form at the moment of Alexis Sanchez and Oliver Giroud they've both lost their way a little bit of late those are the two players who we sort of rely on to score goals if Aaron Ramsey's trying to pull the strings then you know you, you're relying on two players to score the goals really and they couldn't get those goals it might have been worse for us on the night Sunderland had some good counter-attacking opportunities but they didn't take not much to discuss, really. Well, from my point of view, I think I, th- I think we need we need to to change the team and we need to freshen up the players. A lot of players need a breather, if not physically, then mentally at least. If it was down to me, I would change many players on Sunday against West Brom. Um, Theo Walcott needs to come in. Rudzicki could come in. Chambers. I mean, there's a lot of players who, who are sitting on the bench. There's not much game time at the moment. I think the result against West Brom isn't so important as long as we don't lose 5-0. Um, we shouldn't do that, really, should we? It's important that our first team are ready and fresh or fresher when it comes to uh, Wembley. And they're clearly not fresh at the moment. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, um, I've got a case of man flu at the moment. So if I sound a bit nasally, then that is the reason why. I'm going to hand you over to the guys who won't be sounding as nasally as I, as I am. And uh, we'll be speaking again after the West Brom game. And if you are downloading this from iTunes, if you could send a positive review or rating of the podcast, that would be most appreciated. Yeah, If you want to go to the link, there's a link on the Arsenal Vision podcast page. Uh, go to that, give us a quick review, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and see you after the West Brom game. 
Black Cats cross Arsenal's path at the Emirates and cause Gunners to find bad luck in front of goal. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, if for no other reason than that opening, at uh, Yankee Gunner. So we're going to talk about another scoreless draw for the Arsenal. Um, another game in which no Arsenal player scored a goal. I realize we were awarded a goal uh, at Old Trafford, but no Arsenal player scored it. So it's uh, three games on the trot now, as they say, without a goal. Perfect tune-up for uh, the cup final uh, the weekend after this one. So everything is uh, on par for another hair-raising, nervy trip to the new Wembley Stadium, which seems to be how we do it. Uh, Let me introduce my guests so that they can relieve me of speaking, which is probably best for everybody involved. And the first of them is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at PoznanInMyPants. Paul, welcome. Thank you very much, Elliot. What? No woohoo? Woohoo! All right, thank you, for God's sakes. Scared the crap out of me. And uh, the other one, as we call him, you can call him James. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. You should definitely be following both these gentlemen. James, welcome. Hello. Hello. So, all right, it's another nil-nil. I said another nil-nil. I realize it wasn't nil-nil at Old Trafford, but it's three games on the trot, on the bounce, on the spin in a row without a goal from an Arsenal player. Um Let's talk about how this game was a little bit different to some of the ones we've seen, primarily because Arson changed the lineup. He played without Francis Coughlin, presumably to give us a little more attacking impetus. And I, I thought we did fine for the most part. There were chances created. Paul, what was your overall feeling about how it worked with Coughlin out of the lineup and arson's play all the midfielders approach theo walcott missed out again but it was wilshire ramsey cazorla ozil all the midfielders in there what do you think of just that approach in general yeah i i think the problem is you start to over egg the pudding um I, you know i can see that had we scored a goal there'd be not much to say and had jack wilshire be the guy and uh, uh, you know he had a couple of really nice uh lofted passes over the top he did a lot of good things during the game but it still feels like we had one extra playmaker in a world in which we had we really should have enough playmakers what we need is a difference maker somebody on the other end of it so my frustration was seeing Theo come on at the end of that uh, he made a difference a big difference big and you could feel it and Mm -hmm. it gave everything it's like sharp it's great having a pencil but you need to sharpen the damn thing especially when you're seeing uh, it can't be any surprise that uh, Ollie's still struggling to find a finish right now. Um, so th- that's my frustration. I-, I can see in other matches why you may not wish to risk Theo if, if if your belief is he leaves you too exposed. But, you know, the way we were set up and the way that game was going to go, we were always going to have the lion's share of the possession and having Coquelin in midfield would have made us, I think, as secure as we turned out to be with having Ramsey and Wiltshire wandering around our midfield mm-hmm. and our most defensive playing player being Santi. And, you know, in that second half, they had three excellent chances to steal a goal from us, but for the brilliance and good fortune of Ospina sticking his own you know, defending well, but sticking his arms also in the right place when he stood up. Yeah, uh, he, I mean, we, we for all the chances we created, and we created some, we'll get to that, Ospina, Ospina proved himself uh, worthwhile on the day, didn't he? I mean, they had some real chances, especially the one yeah. that he, he just kind of got a, uh, clawed away with his, what was his right hand across goal? Yeah, the, there was the one where he stuck his arm straight out and it hit it, which was part brilliance, part luck. And then there was the one where he kind of, went down, waved his hands above his head and flapped at the ball to put, you know, so I'm not taking credit away from him, but there was also plenty of luck in those. It could have gone either way. And then there was the third one with Fletcher where he stuck his his leg out and the thing went an inch over the bar, but really had the goal at his mercy. And uh, all he had to do was get it on target and avoid Ospina, which was pretty straightforward in that situation. Yeah. So you could make all the arguments for it's a, it's 2020 hindsight you can make all the arguments for why you don't want to risk Theo for 90 minutes but there was a time we used to risk Theo for 90 minutes in every freaking game he was fit and found a way to win games and he seemed to be exactly what we were missing yesterday we had plenty of playmakers not many of those 
putting the ball in the back of the net. And Theo, I think three separate occasions really tested the keeper when, you know, there's some stat about we had 28 shots on target, but I remember a lot of those shots. They were from distance. They were the Santi Cazorlas trickling it into the box, the kind mm -hmm. of we're so embarrassed knocking around somebody, you know, Somebody uh, eventually just has a pop yeah. and scuffs a shot somewhat towards yeah, the goalkeeper. Yeah. A lot so, of speculative efforts, I, I agree. Um, yeah, so I maybe sound a bit more, ne you know, I'm frustrated as heck. Um, I, I have a lot of understanding for what went yesterday, but that's my big frustration that it took till whatever, 65 minutes for Theo to get on the field. Yeah, I mean, they didn't give us a lot of trouble. 28 shots, 8 on target, 90% passing accuracy, 75% possession, 22 completed dribbles i mean it was just that penetration at the end i mean even though i wouldn't ordinarily ordinarily make this argument i think you could see that we had a lot of skill in building up the foreplay was there but without our cock we couldn't find the penetration we needed no you know i think that's i think that's got to be said at some point um all right so james th there was some decent build-up and i think I don't think this was necessarily Swansea, at least the first half of Swansea over again. We created some excellent chances, um, and you'd expect that, but we really missed opportunities, not just shooting opportunities, but final ball opportunities where I thought either either the shot wasn't good in a, in a position where we probably should have scored, or maybe even more commonly, the final ball wasn't good when it really needed to be. And once again, I think, we have to look at Alexis Sanchez as uh, one of the big issues with that, and maybe Giroud as well. Putting aside the the build-up play, what do you think has gone wrong in the final third? Why aren't we scoring? Is it is it just that our goal scorers, namely Sanchez and Giroud, are really out of form, or is there something else you see about the way we're playing? Um, yeah, I think a lot of it certainly comes down to the form that we've seen recently from Giroud, but in particular Alexis Sanchez over the last couple of games. I mean, they're two players we've relied on quite consistently over the, certainly in the second half of the season to bag us goals and um, at important times in games. Um, although Olivier Giroud has been out of form, he hasn't scored now for, I think, six games. Is, just a quick question. He's, quick question. Is he yeah. a bad striker or is he the worst striker? <laughs> Yeah, the guess. worst of no all strikers, according to Thierry Henry. So. I, I just I wanted to give you a choice so that you could make the make the choice instead of just leaving it <laughs> open ended. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. If we listen to the man, the legend Thierry himself, then I mean, we can. But yeah, no, um, but, but kidding aside, I mean, we're heading to the summer. We're going to be talking transfers. I mean, you know, pretty soon that's all anyone's going to be talking about. Has this last little patch of challenge in front of the goal? led you to change your thinking at all on whether we need to go after another goal scorer, maybe even another striker? Not really, to be honest with you. I'm uh, Before you cut me off, I was about to say that although he's been out of form somewhat, I don't think, I think a lot of the issue has actually been the the types of chances we've been able to create for him um, over these last few games, especially against Sunderland. I mean, there are only two chances of note that I can remember. One was the dinked ball from Jack. Um, and the other was the ball across the face of goal from Hector Bellerin, where he took it with his left um, ahead of the front post. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> Pantelimon made a decent save, and I don't think he could have done much better with that. I mean, it's a, it was a typical sort of Giroud-like flick with the outside of his boot. Um, and both chances were pretty difficult. I wouldn't say he's been particularly profligate. Um, do I, is that how I pronounce that word? Anyway, profligate, yeah. Profligate, indeed. Um, and certainly not over the last couple of games. I think... Defenders have in, have in particular paid more attention to him, um, given his rich vein of form, and you would think that would um, create a few more spaces and opportunities for the players around him. I think the one position we've somewhat struggled with has been that that kind of right flank, and I think we're missing that um, more the kind of Bobby Perez type wide player who's you know both a a good finisher and a creative playmaker who's able to create those types of chances for um, your focal point in the middle. Um, especially when you have a, a player like Alexi Sanchez, who, as I said, we've been quite reliant on from um, a productivity and goals standpoint, um, given the kind of form he's been in these last couple of games. You, I think we haven't really had someone to look to on the right side. 
Um, and obviously, around the uh, um, I guess I want to win a sessing for you. See, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to interrupt you now. And this time, the reason I'm interrupting you uh, is not just because I don't want to hear what you have to say, although that is certainly a component of it, but it's because your Internet is cutting out, and so I'm saving you from robot voice, uh, which is kind of what you had descended into. Um, and, and so now this – I'll agree that the last time I interrupted you was just me being rude to interject a somewhat comical question. This time I was actually doing a very professional job of hosting. Um, <laughs> but sorry, go ahead. You're, it seems that you are back in – in your beautiful accent as opposed to the uh, Mr. Roboto voice you had going there. Okay, well, I apologize for that connection issue. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, the thing that's difficult with assessing Theo's performance is when he comes off the bench is the kind of pace he possesses and the type of attributes he has are so um, incredibly important during a game that, at the time in which he comes onto the field. I mean, the way in which he's able to take advantage of tiring legs and... Um, a few more spaces are opening up, especially towards the sort of end of a game where you're getting that little bit more desperate to secure the to secure a goal. So I'm not. Sh- it, it's difficult to really know if had he started from from the off, whether or not he'd actually still have been able to make the types of chances he was able to create for himself in the second half of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I I was actually quite. I was quite happy with the lineup with Coquelin dropped and, and, and seeing Jack out on the right because I thought in the couple of games we'd seen him in those 25-minute cameos, he looked very bright, um, very fresh. And in theory, I thought against packed defences, he's one of the players that you thought would be able to um, beat, beat a man or two in those tight spaces and, and try and create those opportunities. But frankly, I don't think he had a great game. And he um, he came in centrally a lot. And I thought we, we congested the middle of the park a little too much. Um, and a lot of our wide play, so to speak, came from Hector, um, who did admittedly benefit from that kind of space, and there were still a significant number of balls coming in from the right. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I just thought the way in which we approached that game was a little too um, playmaker-centric and um, midfield-centric, and I don't think it ended up working out too well. But, again, a lot of that can also come down to the fact that you know, one, if we if you score one of those chances in the first half of the game, the whole context of that match completely turns on its head. Yeah, um, and the and the longer it stays nil nil, of course, you know, the more likely that a team like you know Sunderland who are desperate for the draw, the the um, the kind of confidence they gain from that, etc. It's yeah, so it, it's a little difficult to assess that. I mean, it, it was actually a very similar game to the one against Burnley earlier in the season, where we finally got that goal from Alexis Sanchez, and then we scored a couple. Yeah, I think ultimately they rode their luck a little bit too, but we we didn't have anyone who seemed to have the confidence and coolness in front of goal when the moment called for it, either with a shot or with a final ball. Um, I just really feel the urge to interrupt you one more time. Can you talk again just really quickly? Yeah, hello. Uh, okay, I would get to move on. Enough of that, James. Come on. Cool. It's Paul's turn now. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. So, all right, well, I think – the the concern now, obviously, is if this is in becoming an issue, if we're pressing now, and if it's in our head. Paul, what do you think is really the the key to us getting going offensively again? Is it maybe giving Alexis Sanchez a day off? He's been really, I hate to say really poor. I mean, he's a phenomenal player, and if all he ever did in a game was work as hard as he does to press and recover the ball, that would be worth a lot. But... The dribbles aren't coming off for him. His passing has been really poor, and he's not finding the target with his shots like he had been for most of the season. Is this someone who just needs a rest, or do you think there's something more fundamental at fault here? Yeah, I think he he needs a rest. Now, sometimes players need to play through things, so I, I'm no expert on that. But certainly I agree with the analysis that he's flat now, He's out of ideas. He's been one of our problem players in the last three games. Um, And coming back to the Giroud question, you know, when you look at the players who you can reliably, in theory, turn to for goals, it's Giroud, it's Alexis, and it's Theo, who apparently we don't feel confident starting. And it's, say, Ramsey. Those are your four goal scorers on the team. And even with the injured Welbeck and Ox, uh, they give you something, but they're not reliable goal scorers. No. 
Um, so beyond those four, and then you look at Giro being tired, you look at Alexis being tired, and I don't know that Ramsey is tired yet, but he's certainly part of a crew that's played a lot of games, um, and he hasn't scored for a little while. Um, but but I wouldn't. Uh, I, I can see why he's getting played every week. He, he's certainly uh, putting the the effort in. I certainly think he still has a goal or two left in him. So when you know when Alexis flatlines on you and Giroud's knackered, you got trouble. Mm-hmm. And and we're not starting Theo. So yes, I'm worried about where goals fr- come from. Hopefully, when the the cup final comes around, we'll get a shot of adren- adrenaline, uh, kind of like that injection to the heart in Pulp Fiction. Is is that uh, it? I mean, is is some of this intensity? I mean, yeah. Once Chelsea won the league, you know, once yeah. we drew with Chelsea, what, is it just that the adrenaline, especially knowing top four was secure, it's really hard to convince your players that third is different from fourth is different from second. Is some of this just that? Finishing and scoring goals is down to yes. hyper-focus, and that focus has waned? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think, uh, to be fair, uh, I think it, it, it goes back and forth. So the Swansea game, I don't think we ever intended to risk losing it. I think we went to play that, but we were tired. I don't think we had taken uh, – I think we really did want still second place at that point. Mm-hmm. But then second place went on you, and we went to Old Trafford, and – we maybe didn't start with the intensity, but then we realized we were getting ourselves into trouble and we came out in that second half. Well, I think they got a rocket at halftime too. <laughs> yeah, and the rocket reminded them that they were about to be passed by United if they didn't get their shit together. And I think they cared about that. That was a much better second half, but you're still... And that got us our draw, and that was enough to, again, make us feel comfortable. We'd locked in third place and, more importantly, ahead of United... And we needed a draw. You know, the reality was we needed a draw in that last game. We we certainly played to win, and the players tried to win. But you you know, at the end of the day, you can't fake what the back of your mind knows. You can talk about professionalism. You know, the champions always play. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But still, to some degree, part of that spark is missing at the moment, and part of the reason is is because you can't fool yourself, which is. We kind of got what we needed, maybe not what we wanted. That's fair. Um, I, I think one of the questions, obviously, on a day when you get shut down by a team defending really deep is, is it the fault of the front line or is it the fault of the people trying to create behind the forwards? And let's talk about Ozil just for a second here, James. Um, when you know you're going to play a compact back four, five, ten, whatever it was that Sunderland was playing, um, you expect your best playmakers to really have to have the best game if, if you're going to win the game. And so you look at Ozil, and he did sort of lead the way with seven key passes. Um, are you pressing one for customer service? Uh, he did lead the way with seven key passes. He had no accurate through balls and only attempted one through ball in the game, uh, but he also played eight crosses, which is uh, one fewer than Bellerin for the most in, in the team. Do you think on a day like this, this is where it falls a little bit more on Ozil's shoulders and, and we do need more from him because he's the type of guy uh, who who should be able to or we need to be able to pick the lock? Um, perhaps, but I think a lot of that also comes down to the fact that um, players like Ramsey, Sansi, Jack on the day um, also weren't contributing as much as you might you might hope they would do over the last... Um, few games, and I think, um, of course, Özil as as the playmaker and as the most creative player on our side, um, you always look to him in a game like that to be able to create um, to create something. I mean, you look to the uh, to the Reading FA Cup semi and that that ball that he made for Alexis that t- that turns the game on its head. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, of course, it's e- it's also easy to say that you know he, it's, it, in games like that where there's very few opportunities for um, to make runs in behind, to make those types of um, clear-cut through balls. Um, you know, the, the space is a lot more constricted. It's a lot more difficult for that type of player. Um, you also sometimes want to look for a, you know, your, your, Alexis type, your Alexis-like player or, you know, the, the kind of player that we that really is the difference between us and Chelsea. You know, an Eden Hazard that's really able to beat a couple of players and really um, 
turn defences onto their back foot. So, I don't know, I guess, yeah, I don't think Ozil had the greatest of games, and I think, of course, you'd like to, you, you do look to him to, to be the one to be able to really pick that lock. Um, and unfortunately, he wasn't able to do it on the day, but the thing is, it's, 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 a team, it's a team performance, and I don't think every game you can always look towards Mesut and be like, look, and, and have to rely on his production, because naturally, over the course of a the season, there's going to be games where he's not necessarily going to be able to deliver all the chance that he does provide for the team aren't necessarily going to be put away. So that's why you also have the players like Sandy Cazorla, your Aaron Ramsey's, and um, frankly, and of course your Alexis Sanchez, etc. And frankly, they um, they too have been a little below par for their standards over the last couple of games. And I think, um, as you both mentioned, I think a lot of that comes down to perhaps that slight subconscious mentality of these games not meaning quite as much. I, I don't think, you know, from an outward point of view, players are thinking, oh, you know what, we're playing Sunderland at home. Um, you know, I think they do care about the game, but there's just not quite that level of intensity, certainly subconsciously for the players. Um, and I wonder if that's playing a role in the general performances. I think, to be honest with you, it's a little easy to talk about fatigue and tiredness, especially as fans. I think it's quite an easy excuse or stick with which to beat um, both the manager and the players. You know, perhaps I guess the same starting eleven is is used a little too repeatedly, but I'm not really sure if that comes down to it. Maybe there's a little mental fatigue um, playing into it, but I think that kind of ties into what I was talking about, that, that mentality of the, the, the type of game. And um, One can just hope that, obviously, on, the, on an occasion like the FA Cup final, that's, that's what will really bring back out the, um, the true qualities of you know, the, the creative players and the um, fantastic attacking players that we do have at our disposal, even if... They haven't quite shown that over the last three games or so. Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's amazing how intensity can just add that extra bit of quality. And it wouldn't surprise me if suddenly Sanchez had a little bit more bite to his dribble or a little bit more ferocity to his shot. Or, you know, if Ozil was threading through those balls a little bit more accurately. Um, I have a genuine question about where Giroud's game is right now. And I, you know, I, I know it's so hard to say because he went through a period of the season where he was in sensational form. And the, and the question remains, is that indicative of the player he is, or is that indicative of a purple patch for a player who's a notch below that? Because I think if that's indicative of the player he is, he's probably good enough to be the primary striker for a title winning side. But if these last few games are more indicative of his level, then obviously that changes things. So the truth probably lies somewhere in between. I think it'll be very interesting because I have a weird suspicion that the manager doesn't trust Giroud to be his exclusive striker and will look to strengthen uh, the attack this summer. But we played without Coughlin, and obviously we didn't need him on the day. I mean, he would not have added anything to this game considering the possession we had Um, but Paul, it did give us the chance to see, uh, Wilshire come into the side. I guess you could say what he, would you say he was deployed on the wing where Ramsey had been playing or at least nominally? Yeah. 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 What did you, what did you make of how he played? 66 minutes? You you think? Actually, I thought it, I thought he was, yeah, no, I thought he was pretty good. I mean, there were two balls over the top that could so easily have led to goals. There was the one for Ozil. Mm-hmm. Where uh, it was on his wrong foot, but it was, you know, it was a pretty damn good opportunity uh, if he if he'd caught it right. And he seen he actually seemed to kind of catch it right. He sure he shot it over, but he caught it well, and the angle looked decent, and a better shot would have done it. And similarly, one to the other side to Giroud, who maybe it was a more difficult angle, and maybe he was going away a little bit more from the goal, and he cut it back across. Would have been a tough one to score from, but he actually did pretty well. He almost skinned the post. Um, and those were two, you know, I, I think I said a few weeks ago, one of my frustrations is when we played around in a semicircle too much and we don't have that right blend of doing something different in terms of so, those skillful balls over the top. Now, they're not easy to do. You don't have much space to hit them into. They've got to be just right. Well, you know, two or three times we did that. Two of them were jack. So overall, I thought his contribution was very good. Um, I think it was more we suffered from 
Uh, there's only so many playmakers can be on the ball at the same time or knock it to another playmaker. You're, you know, we still had at least one more playmaker not doing anything while those two were knocking it to each other. And I'd sooner have seen Theo being there as the outlet for the brilliance as opposed to three players knocking it around, showing how playmakery they could have been. Uh, again, it's 2020 hindsight. Had one of those opportunities come off, we're a goal up, great. But we, d- you know, we're lacking cutting edge. We're lacking finishing. And I agree with James. You know, it's unlikely Theo would have had 90 minutes where he looked as brilliant as those 20 minutes. It might have ground, ground him down and he might have been working against a tighter defense in tighter spaces. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, so, I mean, the the problem I think we have is that it's now a couple of games. If you put the United game aside, it's the Swansea game and the Sunderland game where teams sat deep and basically said, we don't care about having, having any possession. We're just going to defend deep. Yeah. And we haven't been able to break it down. Um, but what I think people forget when you fail to score is they forget the chances. And we did have the chances to win both those games. And it's the finishing that let us down, I think, more than the buildup. When a team puts 10 players in their own box, you're not going to have 30 good chances at goal. You're going to have a lot of shots blocked, which we did in both those games. You're going to have a lot of lateral passing because there's not a lot of room for through balls and direct passing but when you get chances in those games you have to take them because obviously once you score in those games the team can't continue to play that way and that's usually when you wind up with the six nils seven nils five nils is a team that came with no other game plan but to sit in their own box get scored on and now when they come out and try to play participate in the game they're exposed at the back so i just think those are games where you have to you have to score from that first early chance you get and we haven't done it and that's down to the form of the people who the chances have fallen to guys like Giroud and Alexis at the other end of the pitch Sunderland did cut us open a few times to be a little bit expected considering the resources we were committing to attack james was this Ospina's best game in an arsenal shirt in terms of actually having to do something to save a game, whereas in the past he's kind of done the ordinary and the expected, but in this game maybe he went a step beyond that? He's been remarkably consistent, um, which is obviously a very important quality for a goalie. Um, But I fail to remember many games in which he's really secured us points. And although we had by far the, the highest number of attempts on goal and obviously dominated the game from a possession standpoint, when you look back at that match and you look back at the highlights, Sunderland really had the best chances of, of that game. I mean, they had a couple of really golden opportunities that we got. One in which I think the ball came across goal and we were lucky for Fle- that Fletcher um, hit it wide, although it did look somewhat offside on, on the replay. And then um, Ospina made a couple of really, really important saves coming out, um, saving one-on-one. And that, you know, that, that Fletcher chip, for example, although it may have been going wide, um, I didn't get a good look at it on the replay. Um, but he very much commanded that box, and he, he was very quick to come out at important times in the game. And That would have been a really big setback to, to concede in a game like that, um, for especially you know, if we'd had a sort of a Swansea repeat, although a point did seem somewhat demoralizing. I think a, a loss in that situation could have been really quite damning, um, especially from a fan's point of view. So, like you said, I think it was probably his best performance um he still doesn't fill me with an incredible amount of confidence but um you know he's proven that he's he's clearly a you know a well veteran goalkeeper and he's he's able to to make big saves at big moments following um yesterday yesterday evening's game so um fair play to him yeah obviously this is another player playing for the right to keep the shirt next season a little bit Uh, there's a lot of attention right now on whether or not the manager will go after a goalkeeper in the summer and or whether or not he'll persist with Ospina. And while everyone seems to believe we need better, you know, credit to Ospina, he proved that he's capable of saving points for us uh, against Sunderland. Paul, time to talk about a player you've got a lot of time for, but the manager doesn't seem to, uh, Theo Walcott. Came on, for me, he was the man of the match in some respects and that he really changed the dynamic. I, although we created some chances throughout the match, I thought once Theo came on that straight running, that running in behind the last defender 
really changed the, the pattern of play. Um, did you think that was his best performance? I mean, he basically hasn't been on the pitch more than 10 minutes here, five minutes there, but was that his most convincing performance really since fully coming back from injury? And is there any sense in your mind that he may be in the picture for the cup final? So, yeah, to me, uh, that felt like his best performance. It seemed like every chance he got, and he didn't get that many, his eye was in, and he put in a good shot on target, low and hard, and Pantillamon was always in the right place. But even as it was, there were a couple of rebounds that could have gone. I think Ramsey was was a, a near miss for getting on the end of one of uh, the rebounds, and Giroud piled into the back of somebody trying to get to another rebound. So... They were pretty hot to handle, too, even though they were stopped. So um, to me, that was his looked like his most informed performance. He was electric, um, you know, that kind of threat. Unset- it, it's like that thing they say, if you can unsettle the goalie in the first few minutes, it upsets the whole defense. Well, what um, what Theo was bringing at that stage upset every aspect of the pitch. So now, now it seemed like there was danger everywhere. Now it seemed like they were in, in uh, what would you call it, uh, kind of scatter mode, trying to cover all the angles. Mm-hmm. And, and it really felt like it was only a matter of time, whereas before that it felt like it didn't matter how much time we had. It's so funny uh, you say that. I, I was going to tweet at one point during the match. We had started to get in that rhythm that where – it felt like we could play for four hours and never yeah. score goal, eight hours all day. Um, and I, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think you nailed it. I think Theo's introduction, felt, it suddenly felt like the goal was coming again. Yeah, and I've kind of talked before about, you know, Manchester United, that perception we have of how Manchester United under Ferguson used to go into the last five minutes or whatever, five minutes of extra time. And my frustration in a number of our games that we didn't really have seem to have that plan B, you know, whatever you want to call it, an aerial assault or a, a way to really put them in the meat grinder in the last five or ten minutes. But Theo was that option. Um, you know, completely different approach, but really effective for making you feel, just give us another two minutes, just give, give us another three minutes. There's a goal here. So that was my frustration. Do I think he's come to save the season and he's going to he's got enough time to play in the FA Cup final? I'm strongly coming to the conclusion that everybody else maybe has been on for a while that uh, he and Arson are ready to part ways, sadly, and that the understanding they have, whether they ever uh, vocalized it, is Theo is now a super sub for his own purposes to put himself in the shop window, and for Arson's purposes, he'd still rather start a Ramsey or a Wilshire on the wing than start Theo and that makes me very sad and depressed, but I don't think Theo is going to start in that FA Cup final. And especially when you consider that what little playing time Theo has gotten, if Oxlade-Chamberlain or Welbeck were fit, arguably he wouldn't have even gotten that. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. One of the things that's been discussed a lot in the wake of this game, and I don't want to get into it too, too much, James, because I think it's better saved for after our next pod following uh, our season finale against West Brom, or maybe even better save for after the cup final. But since it's been a hot topic on the interwebs this week, I think it's worth at least a quick question. A lot of discussion about whether there's been actual progress. And the way our season was finishing, we were storming to the finishing line. And I think that had people feeling like we're really moving in the right direction. But since the Chelsea match, that momentum has really subsided, uh, including you know, now three matches in a row where no Arsenal players scored a goal. Do you still feel, based on how we're finishing the season now and based on the point total we look like we can achieve and it is basically secure now that we'll finish third, at least domestically, do you feel this season has demonstrated progress or would you say it's more par? I absolutely think it demonstrates progress. What's the progress um, in your mind? Specific? What's the specific progress? Well, listen, the, I don't think judging the points total is necessarily a particularly strong barometer of the strength of a side because there's a couple of arguments you could make that the Invincibles were a worse team than the, what was it, the Chelsea 05 side who accrued more points than the Invincibles did. 
Um, we won a league title one year with 78 points. We came fourth last season with 79 points. So the actual total points accrued in a given season doesn't necessarily paint um, the entire like a, a true picture of um, the level of performances put in from the side. Um, I think the way in which performances have altered from the beginning to the end of the season is is very key in the way in which you assess sort of the progress that's been made by this team because ultimately when you're, dis- when you're discussing the term progress, you're basically assessing what, is, what does this mean for the team going forward? Are we an improved team? Can we continue to expect improvements leading into next season? I think that's a, an absolute definite yes. Um, you know, we talked a lot on this on this podcast in from you know, November, December, going to January, and you know there was a lot of negativity. And I think we were still able to, um, you know, under underneath all these like sort of injuries and the issues we had with the six defenders, see that there was there was still a lot to this team. And I think that that has shown significantly in 2015. And although obviously a season isn't played over a calendar year, I think we're the most informed team in 2015, certainly in the Premier League. Um, and that's a, that's an extremely strong sign because I don't... When you look back to the last season, you can look a lot at the... Um, you know, you can look a lot at the, the way in which the fixtures were presented to us from the beginning of the season compared to the second half, um, which seemed to play a big part... You know, or certainly a... a certainly played somewhat of a part um, in the early good run of form and, and leading the league table. Whereas, and a lot of players had talked about it at, at the time, and obviously there was the issue with Arsene not bringing in that um, extra centre-back, but that's a discussion for another time as to whether, you know, in order to get the right player, you've got to perhaps wait for like the long-term benefits of the club and perhaps, you know, maybe we wouldn't have been able to get a, a Gabriel if we, if we had to, if we made a snap decision to sign a defender in in, in the summer, but that's a, that's a separate discussion. Obviously, the World Cup did play a role, and we weren't the only team that had players that played in the World Cup. But you know, I think Mertesacker talked about it a lot. Um, you know, and that was a very much in a position where we were, you know, clearly susceptible and weak, given the lack of other options. And he you know, he mentioned how difficult it was even for him, a player who clearly cares a lot about the club, is you know, a well-trained, highly professional athlete and right through until around you know towards that sort of second half jump he, he seems to be a player that consistently mentioned the, the difficulties he had in transitioning and obviously that played a, a part somewhat for Mesut before he got the in, injury and, and managed to come back a revitalized player but really I mean you know I, I, the true sign of, of progress will perhaps be um, after the FA Cup final and you know, even if we don't win it, I don't think it's, it's necessarily a sign that we haven't made progress. Really? I think, um, well, I, I say that because you know, ultimately, it's a knockout. It's a knockout competition, and you know, you can't take anything for granted on a on a final in in a final or in any of the you know in, in a semi final match. I don't think it's necessarily a true. It's not a complete barometer of like ha- the quality of of the side on you know to win to get to an FA Cup final two years in a row. You know, it's something to win the FA Cup final last year, but to get to the FA Cup final again, you know, it's not very often that you have teams, you know, whatever era you look at, um, to consistently get back into, um, you know, get back into the final, and especially to win it. I think that'd be an even stronger sign that this side is really pushed on because I I haven't got the history books in front of me or the record books in front of me, but I can't imagine that there's been many occasions. Even if you look at the Liverpools of old, the Uniteds, um, us, you know, from '98 to 2005 or so, were a team as as won back-to-back FA Cup. So mm-hmm. um, to make the FA Cup final twice in a row really is, a, I think, a much bigger achievement than a lot of people are giving it credit for. And I'm, I certainly am someone that re- that reveres and and loves the FA Cup still a lot more than perhaps some people who do based on sort of the, the kind of commercial side of things and it seems to have somewhat lost some of its luster of, um, of the past few years but um, I think you know it's, it's not to be scoffed at especially in the way the kind of fixtures we had was that you know just to have to, to, to be united at Old Trafford to make it to the semi-finals that really was a big big fixture and you know I know I've, I rambled on now for what was meant to be just a short discussion of progress but even more importantly, I think we've shown that we can we can match it with the with the biggest sides in in the league, and um, 
all the voices from you know whether I think it was Bang Howell that talked about it and um, and I think Pellegrini too saying that outside of Chelsea that are oh, we you know we we've got the strongest side in the Premier League and hopefully we can carry that forward um, into next season I'm I'm very confident that we will. I think we'll wrap there, and I'll release that answer as a three-part special series, if that's okay with you. Um, Sounds good to me. Yeah, no, but, but I, I think those are all fair points. I don't agree with them, but I certainly think you've made your argument in a compelling way. I mean, I don't – I do think that the way we're looking at this season has been heavily influenced by finishing strong versus starting strong and finishing terribly – I mean, it's easy to forget that we led the league last season for 120 days or so. I don't think at any time we were playing fantastically well. And I think the fact that the squad looks better now is leading people to jump to the conclusion that we have made progress. I think the cold, hard facts are we haven't taken the whippings that we took last season. But aside from that, we haven't returned really many or any points more against the top six or seven than we did last season. Um, we will return a lower points total, but finish one place higher. I think it's maybe progress, but it's incremental progress at most. And we certainly were never a title contender this season in any real way. Um, so I think for me, real progress would be a real title challenge that demonstrates some sense that we are close to being ready to win a title. And I don't know that we did that this year any more than we did last year. Uh, or last season, but certainly the fact that we didn't get whipped by some of the top seven teams, um, you know, makes a big difference. There were some humiliating losses to Everton, City, Liverpool, Chelsea last year, um, but from a points total standpoint, we didn't do much better. Um, Paul, let's separate the question of whether we made progress domestic, and that was just a question of domestic Premier League progress. I think getting the back-to-back FA Cup finals is very uh very uh, impressive and certainly deserves credit, James. I couldn't agree with you more there. I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, not a lot of teams do it. And regardless of what you think of the competition, it's not easy to do, and we deserve a lot of credit, even more if we can complete uh, the defending of our of our FA Cup title trophy. Um, obviously, what happened in the Champions League is a sore spot for me, so we won't get into that. But, Paul, as far as progress, putting aside the results, would you say that it is clear, and this is where I think, we may all be in agreement based on what you've seen over the course of the season. Would you say that it's clear that we've definitely made progress in terms of the squad's composition and that we are close to where we need to be in terms of the makeup of the squad? Yeah. I mean, my overall view is we've made progress. I certainly think you can go almost position by position and show progress in almost every area of, of the pitch. Uh, from existing players who stepped up another level like Monreal and uh, Giroud. We could debate how high a level that will turn out to be, but he's, any way you slice it, he's stepped up to a he's new certainly level. certainly better, yes. He's been better yeah. than last season, no question. And and We've, the same with Ozil, and so I totally agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, yeah exactly. Ozil is now looking like a world-class player. Uh, maybe he hasn't hit his true peak yet, but... You know, any talks about him being a flop are are banished to a previous season, uh, if if you're so way so inclined to brand him as that. Um, you know, adding Sanchez, who's been arguably the best player in the league uh, this year, uh, and if he isn't, he was the second or third best player in the league, <clears throat> depending on whether you think De Gea was that or not. So, um, other. You know, adding Bellerin instead of Sanya, uh, but adding Debushi when he's back. I think Debushi certainly matches where Sanya would have been at at this point and next season. Um, you know, you can go position by position. Center back, we're stronger. The goalkeeping, maybe we're in more of a quandary than we were the year before. That's the one area I'm concerned on. You know, Arteta is another year older now compared to bringing in Coquelin. So there could be a debate on on uh, whether we've strengthened there. But I think most people will say we certainly have a much stronger defensive, true defending option in midfield than we had before. So you can go around the pitch and you can also look at the performances. I, I agree with your point that last year we led the league, blah, blah, blah. But when you looked at it, you could see that it was a function of the fixture table. 
Absolutely. No, I said without ever play, without pl- ever playing particularly yeah. like and champions. This, I totally agree yeah, with that. And, yeah, and this year it wasn't a function of the fixture table. At the point at which if you it, it, there's a long window from like the end of November through till maybe a game or two ago where we were the best team in the league and we played all sorts of teams along the way, a nice healthy mix of games. And if you just look with your eyes and, you know, James mentioned a really good example I'd forgotten, which was Van Hal wasn't the only person this this year to say that we look like we're the bit apart from, you know, if we don't piss away a victory when we don't need to we look like we got the best team or the best players in the league so uh, there are many ways you can argue it and i well I even we're... strength and depth right i mean like yeah last year we were bringing on sonogo if it wasn't working with Giroud, and this year we have yep. players like welbeck and and obviously the addition of sanchez has meant that players like theo and ox are more more marginalized players but having that strength and depth i think has made a big difference as well and addressing now the proofs in the pudding, but addressing the fitness and the keeping people in the squad now, for for a team that has fixed its uh, injury problems, we have a lot of people still injured, uh, and in some crucial positions for the stage of the season we're in. But well, the problem said, is it's our first and second choice right wing player, arguably right yeah. Ox and Welbeck, yeah. who would probably start ahead of Ramsey there, who would move yeah. to central mid, and certainly ahead of Theo. Yeah. So. You know, we're not quite there yet, but but if we address injuries on a consistent basis, we're automatically a much stronger entity uh, this season than last. I don't know if that truly addresses the question, but uh, no, it does. I mean, I think absolutely. We, I think we'd all have traded uh, solid fitness and health for an exciting signing in any one of the last bloody six or seven seasons because it's just decimated us anytime we got going so yeah i uh, I think we're we're all on the same page here as while i somewhat disagree with james on the question of whether we've made actual progress in the league apart from not getting pasted which you never should do i think we would all agree that the squad is better and potentially significantly better and closer to a title challenge based on the personnel um, but, but I will say this about the league. I mean, coming third and nearly coming second is a huge delta over fighting your way back in for fourth, which we've done every year. And the impact it will have, um, I mean, those qualification games, you know, it's going to have a material impact. There's also a financial one, by the way. It's yes. worth about $10 million or something. I'm going to agree but, with you and disagree with you, though. I, I, I agree that not having the qualifiers massive, absolutely massive. You can get your work done um, earlier in the summer. You're not waiting to see if you qualify. You don't make a busy beginning of the season even busier, especially with the season starting early this next season. Uh, so I 100% agree there. Where I disagree a little bit is just that, and I know this is such a cop-out answer, both of you, I'm not trying to be petty, but... United, Spurs, Liverpool, those are really the teams you would have expected to push us for a race for fourth, arguably. And I think, obviously, Liverpool were a mess this season. Spurs were a mess this season. I even think United are arguably a mess and lucky to be creeping into fourth. So I'm not trying to take away credit for finishing third, except to say that I think City were terrible almost all of this season and have still crawled their way to second. I don't know if our move from fourth to third has as much to do with us as it has to do with the other teams around us. Yeah, but then again, yeah. you can say that last season, Chelsea were a mess of parts. United were a hot mess. Yeah, and they finished um, seventh or whatever. <laughs> like Spurs, but, Spurs but were Liverpool were excellent last season. Yeah, well, sure, but I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a, a great way of assessing how we should have done in the season because I actually think from a, a full league standpoint, I think the league in itself was was actually a little tougher. Do you really? As, as so, so let me say this. Last year there were three teams that were pretty good. City were pretty good for most of the season with a few bumps. Chelsea were pretty damn good for most of the season with a few bumps. And Liverpool were sensational for a big part of the season. I mean, I think there were three decidedly better teams than us last year. I think this year one of those three fell away badly. The others didn't lift their game noticeably. So, I mean, I, I would say that we... We basically moonwalked past uh, 
past Liverpool, for lack of a better way of putting it. If that makes sense. Sure. I'm. Well, I'm. Listen. I think what you're ultimately getting worked up over is the like the absolute number of points we've we've accrued this season compared to last. And like I said, I'm not. Again, I'm. I don't fully accept that as like a dead-on great way of, of assessing our progress this season over last. But I mean, I I can understand. I can completely understand your point of view, and it's. There's obviously a reason why this is a, a hotly contested point of view at this at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I also don't think you know, having spent a decade of, of being a team in like in serious and genuine transition and consistently battling for fourth, like this idea of progress from a fan's point of view, I don't think it takes one season of you know bringing in the Urzel and and you know being admittedly at the top of the table for 120 days and starting to look like a, a better proposition, but ultimately coming fourth again. And then you know, obviously pushing on and, and bringing in further signings and, and looking to strengthen the squad. I don't think that is, I don't think it's realistic for any, any team, any squad to, to go through this kind of phase that we have as, as a team and as an organization and then really expect us to like immediately be able to push on and really like, fully take on the Giants or the Chelsea or the, the cities that have spent a lot of money. The United even spent a, like an incredible amount of money and are probably going to spend even more this summer. Um, and they sort of like coughed and sputtered their way over, over the line to just grab fourth. Um, I think, you know, we've seen it. It's been a very long-term transition and trend for us as, as a club and it's difficult for us as fans to appreciate that because in the short term we're the ones that suffer. Um, but I, I definitely, when I think of progress, I think about the trend of, of the club and I think of the trend of the squad. And I think we're very much moving in an upward direction. And I think I, I if, we're, if we're being realistic and pragmatic, but, I don't think it's something that, it's not a watershed moment where it just immediately changes overnight unless you have the kind of money that a Chelsea and City did where they were just literally able to completely revamp their entire like image of their club and the type of player that they were able to bring in. Um, well, I, I get that, but but again, I mean, look. First of all, let's let's see where we did agree. We agree. We all agree that the squad is is better. That there's progress. That the direction of the squad is good, and that the the, the playing staff is nearly at the level it needs to be to be a title contender. All I was responding to is I don't think on the pitch this season we have been more than incrementally better than we were last season in terms of the results. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think that the squad is better, because I do. But I think this squad is now ready to take a, a step forward, and I don't think this season qualifies as much of a step forward, except in the very literal sense of third instead of fourth. Let's let's leave it at that, because, look, we will have this conversation again after the season is over. And I think it's always an interesting conversation, only because, as fans... All we really hope for from season to season is that the next season will be better than the last. Um, And I think whether or not we can come away saying that is going to come down to what happens in the cup final. And then it'll be interesting to see how people feel, if they feel they enjoyed this season more than last. I mean, I enjoyed the start of last season much more. I've enjoyed the finish of this season much more. I don't think anybody enjoyed the start of this season. It was horrific. So... It'll be interesting to see what, what people's take is and whether they really genuinely enjoyed this season more than last. And obviously the cup final will play a big role in that. Let's not do our end-of-season podcast right now, though, because that'll be another four and a half hours of listening pleasure for everybody. So let's leave it there. I do want to talk Raheem Sterling, but I think I want to wait on that because it's so hilarious. I want to let more of the shots be fired across uh, the bow of the player in the club before we get into it. So... We'll, we'll put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. It's West Brom at the weekend, end of the season. Uh, hopefully we can finish strong with three points, but really we're finishing third regardless. So it's a chance to rest players, rotate, and get ready for the cup final. That's what matters most. James, while we don't always see eye to eye, I always see the genius and, uh, and um, articulation. No, come on. Let's think of a good word. The genius and thoughtfulness? Thoughtfulness. How about that? Sure, we'll take it. Thoughtfulness of your answers, and and I do enjoy the debate because I think um, it's nice to be able to have a debate where we're not using 120-some-odd characters to uh, write four-letter words at each other, so it's greatly appreciated. Um, You can follow James on Twitter, at GoonerFanatic49. James, thank you so much. 
Thank you. I always enjoy uh, discussions, Elliot. It gives yeah. me great pleasure. What you will not hear. Well-articulated yeah. debate. Thank you. So well-articulated that I couldn't think of the word I wanted and came to a stop for a good five seconds. Um, what you will not hear in this podcast, listeners, but I will let you know, is that uh, we did have to stop the recording at one point due to a cat trying to commit suicide uh, in James's home. So thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, the cat was saved. I, we do not know as yet whether it was because of what I was opining or whether it was James's opinion that was driving him off the edge, but we're glad that he has survived the recording. And Paul, uh, we know it's been a hectic time for you uh, off the pod, so we appreciate you taking time to come on the pod. Please follow Paul at Poznan in my pants. Paul, as always, a delight to speak with you. Woohoo! Thanks, Elliot. Yeah, it was thanks. fun. Really appreciate it. My name is thanks, Elliot James. Smith. Yep. Thanks, James. Thanks, Paul. My name is Elliot Smith. I am terribly sorry to have been your host today. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, Until they decide to tell me that I'm fired, I will be back with you with these two gentlemen for the final uh, Premier League season post-match podcast. We will certainly try to line up a post-cup final podcast. Until then, enjoy the football. Cheers.